welcome to the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey Podcast. I'm Talia Franks, media critic, fanfic enthusiast, and very icy patch. And I'm Lucia Kelly, expert at applied analysis and last surviving member of the Slovene family. And we're here to talk about Boomtown, the 11th episode of series one of Doctor Who. Boomtown aired on the 4th of June 2005 and was written by Russell T. Davies and directed by Joe Ahiene. Remember that time isn't a straight line. It can twist into any shape. And as such, this is a fully spoiled podcast. We might bring things in from later in the show, the comics, the books, or even fan theories and articles. With that out of the way, this station is designed to explode the minute it reaches capacity. So let's get in the TARDIS. I want to talk about the Slovene. Yes, let's. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I am very interested to talk to you about how everyone reacts to and treats Blonde. The Doctor reacts with the most compassion, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of descends from there with Rose being a little less compassionate. Jack not really having any kind of... Like, Jack doesn't have a dog in the fight. He hasn't met the Slovene before, so he's kind of like, that's a dangerous alien just like any other dangerous alien and then mickey is actively hostile Mm -hmm. and i don't know i found mickey's reaction quite interesting these people love making a black person racist they sure do don't they they love making a black person racist i feel like there is nothing that TV producers like more than making a black person a racist asshole or just making a black person an asshole. Like, look at Roderick in the next couple episodes. Right? Yeah. Having Mickey actually using racist language as well. Yeah. And that, like, that is not to say that internalized racism or, like, any kind of internalized bigotry is not an issue in all kinds of minority groups. The problem comes when that is your only representation of a minority's experience or the only representation you have of that minority yeah and also when it's the only representation of someone having that opinion yes when your only representation of minority and also minority is a problematic term because one other thing to consider is people are often not minorities they are I prefer often to use the term minoritized people are represented in media in far fewer numbers than they actually exist in the general population in the actual world population I feel very strongly that when people are not being represented it's not because they are in the minority, it's because they are being minoritized. Yeah, absolutely. But back to Mickey and making Black people racist. (laughs) It's the thing, it's white people who are always the good guys. Sometimes white people are also the bad guys, but that's often when there's no one else to be the bad guys. (laughs) It's not to say there's never people who are POC who are also on the good side. Yes, Mickey is one of the heroes, but he's also being a racist asshole in this thing. Speciesist, not racist. But he's saying some really bad ish here. And it happens across episodes too. 
if we look in the next episode, Roderick is the biggest asshole in that entire two episodes. And he's black. Yeah. And then there's the employee whose name is escaping me right now. I don't think she's given a name because I was looking out for it. Neither of them are given a name. The two main controllers. He is given a name. He introduces himself, but I'm forgetting what it is. We'll talk about it next episode. But anyway, she says, we were just doing our jobs. And then the doctor says, lost all right to talk to me. And the point is people like that, that are on the good side, even when they're on the good side, it's with a caveat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also it's not only the words that are being said and the characters that are saying it, it's also about how the narrative is framing those conversations. Mm-hmm. And in particular, how the narrative is far more forgiving of when white people mess up than when BIPOC people mess up. Mm-hmm. For instance, we were talking last time about Rose's biphobia in The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances. Mm-hmm. That comment, and earlier when she's like, that's so gay, and all this sort of stuff, like a lot of Rose's language can be quite homophobic. However, the narrative, the way that the story is framed, the way that the audience is led to feel, is never to hold Rose accountable for those views. Mm-hmm. We are absolutely being led to hold Mickey accountable for his views. Mm-hmm. And it's a problem that that disparity exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, it's Mickey that is being held accountable the most because he's the loudest, but he's the one that's being signaled out when the other ones are doing the same thing it's just they're not being so clearly signaled out for it yeah this whole episode one of the major underlying b plots is mickey's isolation Mm -hmm. from the beginning it is very much the dr jack and rose and mickey right And that is evident from how they act with each other in the TARDIS. It's how they exclude him. It's how Rose only ever talks about her TARDIS adventures. And we don't see her inquiring after Mickey or his life or what's going on with him or how maybe her constantly talking about her amazing travels with these two other men might be uncomfortable for Mickey. Mm-hmm. And the whole Rose Mickey storyline is, uh, it's interesting. It's deeply uncomfortable, the whole bit of it. I just don't understand why she doesn't just tell him that they're done. Yeah. The fact that Mickey and Rose never have that conversation bothers me so much. The closest they come to it is in The Parting of the Ways when she says, There's nothing for me here. Yeah. But even then, and I don't like to use language like she's leading him on or anything because that's gross and icky. But the fact of the matter is when they don't have that conversation and they leave it open-ended and she keeps coming back to him and keeps making asks of him and keeps acting as though their relationship is something when it's not. Well, acting like it hasn't changed, acting as though she's not the one who is in power, right? And Mickey says that explicitly, being like, like when they have that whole conversation and like, I hope Trisha 
is doing well for herself. I hope Trish has found someone else because she is not being valued at all. Mm -hmm. Right. But when they have that whole conversation. Also, there's nothing wrong with being thick. Exactly. Yeah. That part where that whole like, oh, she's a bit big. It's like she lost weight. It doesn't matter how big Trisha is. Trisha's a person that deserves love and affection. And you should keep those comments to yourself and deal with them on your own time. Bloody hell. But like, it's just so typically Rose that her first reaction to that is, this is all, she literally says, this is all about me. Yep. Is it? Is it? I mean, yes. Why? And then Mickey has that heartbreaking moment where because yeah you say she's not leading him on but it's not that she's leading him on it's that by not having this conversation she is deliberately leaving him on the hook Mm -hmm. and there's a level of cruelty to that like I think if Rose's cruelty was acknowledged in the narrative as we've talked about before she's got this kind of savior complex she loves to be the person who's saving people but she doesn't deal with her own life and she doesn't deal with her own emotions, right? That's a very interesting character trait and that's a really complicated characterization, but it's never really explored in any kind of depth, which upsets me because the narrative is constantly excusing Rose's behaviour and not acknowledging what she does is wrong. Yeah, I definitely feel that. and That's the thing that really bothers me about Rose and I think that is probably why she's my least favorite companion right now and maybe that's unfair and maybe I need to rewatch other episodes I feel like I've had too much of Rose lately I've had a Rose overdose I need to move on to another companion I've had too much of a critical lens on Rose I don't know maybe I'm just looking on other companions with fondness yeah because Rose gets a lot of scrutiny I will be interested to see if our views of the other companions have also changed once we're looking at it with a critical lens. With the exception of I have watched the most recent two seasons, seasons 11 and 12 with Yaz, Graham and Ryan as companions. I have watched those very recently. And while I haven't watched those specifically to critique, I have my critiquing brain on pretty much all the time. So those episodes I have seen recently and I do have capital O opinions about them. And I still love Yaz, Graham and Ryan more than Rose. They are still firmly above her, but I am interested to see whether or not I still love Martha and Donna with the same fondness. And I've watched Bill pretty recently too, so I still love her. I wonder whether or not I still feel as lukewarm about Amy and Clara. Yeah, I definitely have opinions on Clara and on Riversong, but that's a whole nother conversation. You have only seen Clara with 11. I do not trust you about Clara because you have not seen Clara in 12. Okay. We have not seen Clara in 12 in their beautiful dynamic in season nine. So I do not trust you about Clara. I will withhold my opinion until that time. You are not allowed to give a full judgment on Clara until you have seen season nine. All right. I actually really love Clara in season nine. I will ride or die for Clara in season nine. (laughs) Clara with 11 is sus. (laughs) Very. Clara with 11 is really sus, and I prefer to pretend that season seven doesn't exist. Doctor Who ended at the end of season six and began again at season eight, and huge chunks of season eight are missing. 
<laughs> and then we go straight to season nine. <laughs> <laughs> They're just gone. They got lost in the fire. Don't worry They're about gone. it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of classic Who that's missing too. Why can't there be a bunch of modern Who? <laughs> Can we just sleep on sleep no more? <laughs> no. Please. No. Please. Why do you do this to me? Why do you hate me so much? I don't hate you. I want you to do a good and thorough job. And I want to do a good and thorough job. And that means watching every episode. Ha ha. And to that point, let's talk about Blonde Fell Foch. Blonde Fell Foch, and specifically the actress who plays her. Annette Badland. This whole episode is just a showcase for Annette Badland's talent and Christopher Eggleston's, but oh, the complexity, the way they play her, the way that Blonde plays them and the dynamic of power and how it shifts between characters throughout this whole episode is just delicious. That moment where she just goes, let's see who can look me in the eye and and she sits and looks and none of them can look her and I just I'm seizing up in my heart but also the other thing is she's so funny Mm -hmm. like where she's like dinner in bondage (laughs) oh and that dinner oh my god the way that the doctor and blonde they're back and forth. It's two expert manipulators working off each other and how they try to, it's three-dimensional chess, what they're doing with each Honestly, other. Honestly, it's four-dimensional chess. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriately, yeah. No, but like that whole speech, I just can't do it justice. I just can't do it justice. The way he says, you let one of them go, but that's nothing new. Every now and then, little victim spared because she smiled, because he's got freckles, because they begged. And that's how you live with yourself. That's how you slaughter millions. Because once in a while, on a whim, if the wind's in the right direction, you happen to be kind. And then Blonde comes right back with, only a killer would know that. And it's just... (sighs) Yeah, but then the way that she calls him out and talks about how his happy little go lucky life leaves devastation in his wake and I just it's so true though how the doctor really does leave devastation in his wake I mean I wrote a whole article for Nerdist about the consequences of the doctor's actions (laughs) because it's so true because the doctor leaves chaos in his wake because like The moments in the beginning of the episode where him and Rose and Jack and Mickey are sitting in a cafe and chomping the bit and having fun and sitting around a table. You wish that it could always be that nice, but it's not. It's not always that nice. It's having a fight at the end of the world and leaving devastation in their wake. Yeah. Whenever the show holds the doctor accountable for their actions, I love it. I love it so much. It happens so rarely, Mm -hmm. specifically because of what Blonde is talking about, right? The sad 
truth of the matter is that it's often the people who idolize the doctor who survive interacting with him. So the narrative about him is severely skewed. When she talks about you might as well be a god, I mean, kind of, yeah. Like cults around the doctor happen and get addressed and get brought up multiple times, including my favorite topic of conversation, love and monsters. <laughs> okay, yeah, but, but there's actually a 13th Doctor book called The Good Doctor that talks about exactly this. Basically, in that book, what happens is that the Doctor has this massive, it starts at the end of an adventure. There's this massive adventure, and it's kind of like the long game where the Doctor has a massive adventure and puts things right and then leaves for 100 years and things go to shit. So basically, the Doctor has a massive adventure and puts things right, and then Ryan has lost his cell phone, so they go back for the cell phone but accidentally show up 600 years later. And when they show up 600 years later, the narrative has gotten super corrupted. For one thing, everyone thinks that Graham is the doctor. They forget the 13 is the doctor. Graham has been misrepresented as the doctor. And everything has been super corrupted because what it was was that it was like a species war between these two species, the humans and these like anthropomorphic dog people. And the anthropomorphic dog people have been enslaved by the humans. And it's like super misogynistic. So women have no rights. And Graham, as the good doctor, is worshipped as a god. Because, hey, what 600 years will do to you? And so that is the consequences of the doctor's actions. And so then the rest of the book is them trying to fix what they fucked up. Nice. Yeah, talk me about colonization. I want to talk about Woman Wept because Rose says that the reason that planet is called Woman Wept is because from orbit, from space, one of the continents looks like a woman crying. The only way you would know that is if you saw it from space. So what? The people who were born there and lived there couldn't see that. Why is it called Woman Wept? And is it, was it an empty planet? I doubt it. <laughs> I also doubt it. Because the thing is, is, she talks about how the planet, like, has an ocean. Mm-hmm. The planet has an ocean. And also talks about how the planet, the ocean is frozen. How is the ocean fro frozen? Oceans don't freeze like that. I mean, it's, first of all, it's space, it's space physics. Okay. So <laughs> No, but I'm saying like the, the like the way that her space physics explained it, it didn't seem completely natural. Well, doesn't she say it's due to a star or something? I don't know. No buildings, no people, just a beach like thousands of miles across. Okay. Something happened, something to do with the sun. I don't know. But the sea had just frozen in a split second in the middle of a storm. Waves and foam just frozen all out to the horizon. Yeah, that doesn't sound natural. She says she doesn't know how it happened. It doesn't sound natural. To me, it sounds like something weird happened to this planet. Yeah. I wondered, is Woman Wept explored in any other... I'm just saying, I think something bad happened to this planet. It's referred to in passing as one of the 27 planets in Journey's End. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. But other than that, it doesn't seem to have been discussed or talked about. But yeah. 
so the way that they do this Lillian storyline, how does how does this show make me care about a genocidal green rubber monster? I care about her story. I care about her life. <laughs> also, how do we feel about what happened to Blonde? Do we think first of all, will Blonde remember her past life? Because the doctor says she's regressed to an egg. Not that she was in a way that like like using the term regress like almost makes it feel like like when someone has a really severe trauma so they regress to an earlier part of their life yeah i honestly don't know or i think she might have like shadow memories maybe mm. but also like i don't know how i feel about this as a resolution to her storyline because let's be very honest blonde did commit a lot of crimes and I'm not saying that she should be turned to soup in a death penalty ritual that sounds horrific but you know maybe a little accountability maybe well like well that also leads to the question of what is in terms of like accountability punishment whatever I think you know if she has regressed lost all her memories isn't that punishment enough is it a punishment though specifically if particularly if she can't remember it because if she can't remember it if she's lost all her memories who is she what are we if we are not our memories yes her physical self is still alive but her memories are gone like who she was like who constituted herself is gone exactly like everything that made her herself like she might as well be dead like i feel as if the journey that blonde goes on does not like and i'm not saying that we have to have like i can handle it i think i've made it pretty clear i can handle a complex narrative right i don't need everything to be perfectly in its place and you know all the bad guys get got and the heroes are always heroes right but well i mean what kind of justice is justice then well i don't know which is why i find her the way they decided to finish her story so interesting is that they kind of don't deal with it blonde as the blonde that we know does not answer for her because the thing about like where i am is that in order to come to a resolution like in order to you have to have knowledge of your past in order to have learnt from it if you know what I mean whatever lessons you learn is variable but yeah but she's not like she's gone she's dead like her physical self is going to be a new person raised differently in a different family mm. yeah also by the way <laughs> Long makes this huge thing about just don't leave me with the Slovene, put me in a new family. And the way at the end, the doctor is like, we'll just pop by the hatchery and then move on. I'm like, away from the Slovene, I hope. Like the way he says it is kind of like, you know, we'll just leave her on the doorstep. <laughs> in a way that's like, are you going to honor her last wishes? Are you actually going to make sure she doesn't get with Slovene? I've got no faith. <laughs> She doesn't ask to be, she doesn't, like, they don't have that conversation. She, like, she asked, but when she asked, she actually asked to be put with the Slovene. Like, she asked to be, she says, like, the Slovene are all over the place. She has to be put with her family. Like, she says the Slovene aren't welcome on Roxacorica Falpatorius. So she asked to be brought to her family. No, at that point, at that point, 
she's specifically taught because at that point she's obviously obviously she's not an egg because she what she's asking at that point is for refuge but before she also talks about how uh, sort of the cultish nature of the Slovene family like she was like she was forced to kill she made her first kill at 13 like there was no other way it was a self-preservation thing and if I'm a killer it's what my family have made me so I was under the impression that she was like okay yeah that makes sense put me somewhere else (laughs) no I get what you're coming from in that circumstance Also, that receptionist, that poor receptionist is not paid enough. <laughs> when the doctor's like, just tell her an old friend stopped by. Oh my goodness, he is not paid enough. I did like that, because when I first watched it, the when the it turns out the, the space surfboard is like part of the display for the nuclear station. Odd choice. <laughs> Which, wait, does that mean that Blonde built it herself, the display? She did build it herself. And I, you know what? I am so upset. I am so upset that Jack said that she did not build the extrapolator because it is way behind her. Because she says it so modestly. She's like, well, I do have some talents. And then he says, no, I mean it. This is way beyond you. Yeah, no, I took that as, because they go back and forth about that a couple times. And I thought it was implied that she was, like, she was literally being fake modest. Like, it, she didn't build it and she did steal it. No, I thought, I, I, I read that completely differently. I thought she was being fake modest as in she actually was skilled enough to build it I mean I believe she was skilled enough to modify it to what she wanted I'm not sure I'm not sure how I meant to read I'm I was under the impression she'd stole it and modified it to her specific needs but yeah no because I was watching that I mean like that's so like why would you literally build it into your display unit but then it turns out that it's bait and she did that deliberately so I was like okay no that's actually smart well done (laughs) I also have questions on how the skin suit works because she rips off the arm. Yeah. (laughs) Because so we established from the very beginning, there's a zipper that, you know, is in and out of existence, depending on what the story needs across the forehead. Right. Which is why a lot of the, like in the first in World War Three and Aliens of London, a lot of the actors had kind of fringes over their forehead as like a in-universe way of being like, that's why people can't see the zipper. <laughs> but so is there a zipper at the elbow as well? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Did she just break it? Because now it's, well, I'm going. I don't need Margaret anymore. What's going on? I was under the impression that she just ripped it off because she didn't need Margaret anymore. But then the other thing that I was confused about was how did the doctor rifle through the skin suit to find the egg? That too. It looked like he was just rifling through her clothes, but like where's the opening in the skin suit to find the egg? I mean, there sure are some openings, but I don't think we want to talk about it. (laughs) Also, so does the skin suit get preserved in some way? It's been months. Blonde has been walking around in Margaret's skin for months. Years at this point. It's got to smell. 
some some it might not smell like it's rotting but it's got to smell of something how does someone clean a skin suit oh god sorry i've just got this image Uh, you put this you're the one who asked how it smelled i didn't bring up cleaning it like of her in her full slovene naked glory just standing in front of the washing machine as margaret goes round and round Washing machine, that's disgusting. Oh, no, no, no. Don't do this to me. I have a aunt named Margaret. <laughs> that's disgusting. I don't like it. I mean, there's no nice way of thinking about it. It's either the washing machine or the bath. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like the bath is preferable to the washing machine. I mean, people do wash themselves in baths. Do they turn it inside out, though? Like, to wash the inside? They've got to. It's got to be sweaty in there. It's just got to be, like, you know when you wear... I don't know how universal this experience is. This is going to be a theatre kid experience. But, like, wearing... I have worn some pretty tight rubber suits. (laughs) I've never worn rubber suits. I'm allergic to latex. Mm. for like shows and things even for a couple of hours that's nasty if you're wearing that 24-7 blonde's a trooper (laughs) blonde's an absolute trooper she's also a genocidal maniac yeah 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 very you know what do you know what margaret is what margaret's a girl boss (laughs) a what she's a girl boss can we <laughs> do you think blonde fell thought she utilized girl power when she tried to blow up cars? please stop <laughs> i hate you so yeah the use of camera work in this in this uh episode is beautiful as we've come to expect from from Joa Hine, just gorgeous work, the extreme close-ups and the way that the camera slowly moves in to create this sense of pressure and claustrophobia is excellent. And I love it. <laughs> I'm not sure there's much else to say though. It's a brilliant episode and everyone should watch it. I do love when so so Rose and Rose and Mickey's storyline, the way it ends, like him sort of just being in 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 the distance and watching her look for him and walking off. I feel like the writers wrote themselves into a corner with Rose and Mickey and now we, the audience, are dealing with the fact that they are desperately trying to write themselves out of it. <sighs> yep. Just make them best friends. Just let them be best friends. Let it be a bromance. But at least at the end, and I did love this moment where so Rose comes back to the TARDIS and Jack and the Doctor are actually being really sweet, being like, hey, do you want to go find Mickey or wait if you need to do that? And Rose has a shining moment of self-reflection and says, he deserves better. To which the Doctor responds in this way of, the Doctor says, off we go then. And the way that that little, that little interaction is like peak best friend solidarity (laughs) when your friend just shared something super vulnerable and like emotional and you're like 
I can't deal with this right now. Let's go. I support you, but yikes. Also, that just makes me think of how much better that's received. And there's a moment, there's a moment with the with the 13th doctor and Graham. I don't know if you saw the discourse around this. Please inform me. But there's a there's a moment with the 13th doctor and Graham that made everyone super pissed off in season gosh i'm trying to remember what episode it was i think it was spyfall no okay hold on i'm sure it will i'm sure it will pop up if i just search dr graham cancer just watch because the doctor so graham yep okay yep okay it was the first thing that popped up (laughs) yeah so basically, yeah. Okay. So it was after the Doctor Who episode, Can You Hear Me? And Graham is, so Graham is a cancer survivor, which I don't know if you knew. I knew that cancer was some part of his storyline. I didn't know whether, I have heard the name Grace. I know that she is his wife. I know she is question mark dead. And I know she is question mark black. That is, and that there is, a cancer storyline somewhere around there. She was she was his nurse. Uh, that's how they met. He had cancer. Right. Had nurse. Anyway. That is the sum total of my knowledge. Basically what happens is Graham, Graham is like super vulnerable about worried about getting sick again and about the cancer coming back. And then basically just like spills his guts and, be, and is really vulnerable. And there's a really long pause. And the doctor is like, I should say a reassuring thing right now, shouldn't I? And grandma's like, yeah, probably. And the doctor says, I'm still quite socially awkward. So I'm just going to subtly walk towards the console and look at something. And then in a minute, I'll think of something I should have said. And that might have been helpful. <laughs> and Graham says, ha, well, I'm glad we had this chat, eh? And the doctor says, yeah. And Graham says, yeah. And they just have a moment together. <laughs> and it's a very best friend moment. Yeah. When you say something super vulnerable and your best friend is really awkward about it and you just vibe together. <laughs> yeah yeah and like you've had moments like that right oh absolutely absolutely yeah it is very much a best friend moment and you very much vibe with it but audiences hated it because they hate a socially awkward woman <laughs> well also a woman that's not prepared to do emotional labor that she can't complete like the doctor there having not seen the episode right having just listened to what you've read of the script that is someone who recognizes that they do not have the skill or capacity to deal with that properly and is communicating verbally and explicitly that they can't be that person but that they are offering support Mm -hmm. that is actually an incredibly mature and adult response it's a really beautiful response in the scene too and we'll get to it in four years (laughs) <laughs> okay literally i did i did it i i i i know i'm i'm not joking i actually like graphed out how it's gonna take us i saw you graph it out i know and we will get to that season roughly in 2023 <laughs> get to that in like 2020 2020 2024 actually i think i can i can i can look it up i can look up when that episode will come out i'll i'll go on your table right now <laughs> All right. Our episode on Can You Hear Me will come out, is projected to come out. No promises, viewers. (laughs) Episode on Can You Hear Me is projected to come out on April 3rd, 2025. (laughs) 
So in roughly four years. <laughs> Little under four years. Based on our production schedule, we will probably record it in late 2024, early 2025. Beautiful. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yay! Are there any moments that you want to talk about that were like favorites or least favorite? Like anything that you feel we haven't covered? I feel like where is Torchwood during this? And is the other Jack just doing a Marge? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Torchwood hasn't been Torchwood. Do we get we do get an establishing date for Torchwood, don't we? When Torchwood actually because Torchwood happens tooth and claw, so it happens in like Victorian era. Yeah, no, I mean in terms of when. No, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet because wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Jack explicitly says that he built Torchwood, like his Torchwood, out of the ashes of previous Torchwood, which happens after the Battle of Canary Wharf. So that has not happened yet, and Jack is not under the fountain. Not true. What? Not true. Jack builds his torchwood after he he builds he builds his torchwood after the like he he gets his he gets his own version of torchwood at the turn of the century. That's when he starts building his torchwood. Because the whole thing is, if you watch Torchwood, did you watch Torchwood? I watched the first season. And maybe a bit of the second. Yeah. So the thing is, it's it, it in the actual Torchwood. I think it doesn't happen until the second season. You get to see the origin stories of everyone in Torchwood. Ooh. And basically, in in that episode, it like flashes back to everyone's origin stories, and you get to see how everyone joined Torchwood. And when you get to see Jack's origin story and basically how he created Torchwood, you get to see the reason that he got to start over and make his own version of Torchwood was because in right before the turn of the century, when everything changes, basically the person who had previously been in charge of Torchwood. So basically like New Year's Eve, 1999, the person who had been in charge of Torchwood killed everyone who worked on Torchwood 3. He basically had seen a prophecy. He had seen the future that the turn of the millennium was going to suck. So he massacred everyone in Torchwood 3. He went and murdered all of his co-workers and then he realized he couldn't kill Jack. So then he said, Jack, I'm so sorry, I can't kill you. And then he killed himself. So the reason Jack had to rebuild Torchwood 3 was because his co-worker murdered all of his, his supervisor murdered all of his co-workers. One day, one day people are going to realize I just wish, I just wish there was a, a, first of all, I wish that everyone who ever goes time traveling or has to deal with time travel has like an intro time travel 101 course. Feels like that could be useful, just saying. And in, within that course, perhaps a little, a little unit on the nature of prophecy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, just, like we can start with. Anyway, you like, but like we can cover the sort of earth origins in Greek tragedy and how they were often deliberately ambiguous or <laughs> like unable to be interpreted or like the results of a super high drug trip or like deliberately left with a multiple 
interpretation so that if it turned out to be quote unquote wrong the person who made the prophecy would not be murdered by the person in charge or like how often prophecies no matter what you do because they are prophecies will come to fruition in the end so just take what you can and roll with it i feel like that can be covered maybe in an hour's lecture (laughs) but we don't have an hour's lecture so since my favorite moment is trying to think about what alternate jack is doing what's your favorite moment my favorite moment is the is the dinner like that whole scene is like the the bombshell of you're speaking through a dead woman's lips the the back and forth about what being a killer means what the way that they try to manipulate each other like it's all just gorgeous it's all beautiful and brilliant and highly manipulated (laughs) yeah i have to say the four-dimensional chess of it all is probably probably my actual favorite moment and i'd have to say my least favorite moment least favorite moment is when rose says that trisha delaney is a bit big yeah yeah, no, the, I mean, like, why all the fat shaming? Why all the fat shaming? Dr. was a fat shaming problem. Also, the the little, the little transphobic moment where, I'm not even sure what it is, but, like, refusal of acknowledging Blonde's personhood, where Mickey calls Blonde an it, She's not even a she, she's a thing. Oh, Mickey, you're not doing great. You're really not doing great, Mickey. And combined with that, my least favorite moment is when he's... So at this point, the audience don't know, but Mickey sure as hell does, that he's going out with Trisha. And the audience knows, but Mickey doesn't, that Rose has been taking the term boyfriend incredibly loosely so and then mickey is like mickey offers to go have a few drinks and rent out a hotel sir ma'am you're you're both a whole mess you're both a whole mess stop this yeah, no, and because this was made in 2005 and Rose is really bad at communicating, I do not think that they have actually discussed ethical polyamory at all. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. Oh, you can you can absolutely bet Trisha doesn't know that Rose is in town. Yeah. Well, no, Trisha does not know that Mickey is out of town. <laughs> yeah. So that's my least favorite moment. Just having to deal with all of the mess, all of Mickey and Rose's mess. Hate that. Hate that for all of us. Hate Mickey being racist. Hate the fat phobia. Hate the, hate the all of it. Hate the all of it. Which brings me, yeah, which brings the very interesting question. Who is the hero? The TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> the TARDIS saves everyone ass. You know what? Actually, yeah. The TARDIS is the hero. The TARDIS saves the day. The TARDIS saves the day. Because the TARDIS brought them there. The TARDIS brought them there and made them aware of the problem. The TARDIS managed to rescue everyone by turning Blonde into an egg. The TARDIS is the one. The TARDIS is the one. 
And I guess the Adam is probably Mickey. Yeah. Yeah. Hate the fact that there's literally a genocidal maniac on in this episode and she's not the Adam. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the degree to which... And it's so interesting, right? Like, in terms of character, in terms of, like, good character, you can be a genocidal maniac and be a fantastic character who I genuinely enjoy watching and enjoy being on my screen. Being an arsehole is unforgivable. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So in terms of grading. In terms of grading. How are we feeling? How are we feeling? How are we feeling? Production is a five. I feel like production is a five. Production is definitely Writing, writing, I feel like. I'd give it a four. I'd maybe give it a three. Because, like, the way, this is what I'm battling with. There is some excellent stuff going on here. Like, truly, like, top-tier Who stuff. But the Rose and Mickey stuff, the fat phobia, the speciesism, the degree to which, the degree to which Mickey is aggressive towards Blonde. Yeah, I think you're right, a three. Yeah. And again, how Rose is not held accountable for her quote-unquote less admirable, less likable traits is also really starting to bother me. Acting? Five. (laughs) We never had to ask. Never had to ask. It's always a five. It's always a five. (laughs) I just sneezed and accidentally made it a 45, but who's counting? Science science i feel like it's a five i feel like yeah i feel like this is actually our first solid five i can't think of i feel like everything's explained i feel like we we last episode of five too did we oh yeah we did it was our first 100 percent. and rewatchability is also a five yeah so this, this episode did really well it did this episode is a 96 if i'm doing my math correctly 96, which is... No, I didn't do my math correctly. Yeah, that doesn't feel right. This episode is a 92. Cool. So, with a 92, it gets an A-, minus, which is a good grade. It is a good grade. An appropriate grade, too. I feel like that that vibes. Sometimes when we do the math, it's like, really? And then other times, nope, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm feeling it. That's just how the math works. This has been the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this adventure with us through space and time. You can find us elsewhere on the internet on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram as at WibblyPod. Follow us for more Wibbly Wobbly content. You can find out more information about us and our content on WibblyWobblyTimeyWimey.net and full transcripts for episodes at WibblyWobblyTimeyWimey.net slash transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can send us an email at wibblywobblytimeywimeypod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and other platforms as it helps other people find us and our content. Special thanks to our editor, Owen Elphick, who has been a vital member of the Wibbly Wobbly team. That's all for now. Catch you in the time vortex.